Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Bonus Benson. This segment is officially completely off the rails. What are you talking about? Stuff we wish never aired. I will eat chalupas all day long. Come on, man. The Guy Benson Show. Homestretch on The Guy Benson Show. And if you're listening on the live broadcast, you might recognize that tune. A hundred years by Five for Fighting, a big hit a number of years ago. And last night I had the opportunity to go see Five for Fighting in concert in Northern Virginia. There was this cool venue that I'd never been to before, which was quite intimate, maybe 500 people. And there were a lot of Fox folks there, a lot, because John Andrasik, who is the singer of Five for Fighting, he, I guess, is a Fox fan. He invited a number of people and there was a little backstage gathering afterwards and it was Really cool, and I posted some of the videos, just snippets, from the concert on my Instagram story, at Guy P. Benson. I also posted one video on Twitter, Guy P. Benson. In fact, on Twitter, I put it up there, and I said it was fun time at the Five for Fighting concert. Thank you, John Andrasik, something like that. And I got a left-winger responding, well, if he knew that you were there, he would have personally thrown you out of the venue, Fox News scum. And I simply replied, He personally invited me. And a lot of people were like, oh, wrecked. And John Andrasik, in fact, retweeted that and said, I can verify this. Guy and his husband are on the permanent guest list at my concerts, which is pretty cool. And I know, Christine, you are just bursting at the seams to ask me questions about the experience because it was unique. It was unlike other concerts that I've been to. There was a song that he played That has not really been fully released, but it's a protest song about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It was very powerful. We're actually working on getting John here on the show later on in the week. But I'm going to have to disappoint you, Christine. We don't have time. We went long with Dr. Gottlieb. We don't have time for Curious Christine today. But no time for cookie. We can do it tomorrow. So get your questions in order, maybe fine tune them and you can. Just bombard me with curious Christine questions about the Five for Fighting experience and the members of Fox World that I hung out with and had a few beers with at the concert. We will get to that tomorrow in all likelihood on the home stretch. And as I mentioned, you are efforting to get Five for Fighting, in fact, here on the show to talk about this new song in particular. But I did not want to allow this home stretch to pass without at least reveling for a moment in an outcome of a Yankees series from this season, which has been a pretty frustrating one from a Yankees fan's perspective. I know if you're not a Yankees fan, you're probably thinking, oh gosh, the heart bleeds these poor Yankee fans with all their championships. I get it. When we whine, it probably brings a lot of people joy, but the team has been streaky at best. The bullpen is suspect. They may or may not make the playoffs. It's looking a little better than it was a few days ago, but you have to take memorable moments as they come and appreciate them, even if they don't have the talent 
or the makeup to go the distance this year, that's kind of my prediction. I don't think I'm way out on a limb. It's possible, but relatively far-fetched. To go into Fenway Park in Boston, belly of the beast of the rivalry on the opposite side, with a lot on the line, and to not just beat them, but to crush them with soul-crushing late-inning heroics and to sweep the Boston Red Sox in Boston where there were so many Yankee fans in attendance. I mean, it was loud. I tweeted you could call it Yankees Fanway Park, which was sort of my dig at them. I think the greatest moment of all was in the Saturday game. The Yankees were trailing in the eighth inning. They load the bases, and up comes Giancarlo Stanton, who is red hot right now. He's got some strikeout issues. He, again, has underperformed at times. The fans have gotten on him. But this weekend, I mean, you might say he earned his pinstripes because he was a dominant force. And just for fun, for my own personal listening pleasure, I would like to share with you the home run call, not from the Yankees broadcast, but from the Red Sox broadcast on the TV side. And my favorite part is the color analyst just losing his mind at this gargantuan Stantonian blast that put the Yankees ahead with a grand slam in the eighth inning. They went on to win again last night with another monster shot by Stanton. Here's what it sounded like on Nesson, cut 34. Two down. Swing oh, high fly ball. He hits oh, this one a mile. Oh, my God. Stanton with a grand slam. You almost don't know what to say. I know what to say. I say go Yankees. Sorry, Boston. I'd have more unparliamentary things to say about them, but this is a family program. And, Christine, I had to bring this up on the show, not only because our new teammate here at the program that we introduced last week, Dan, is a big Yankee fan, as am I. Christine, your husband, Bobby, the sainted Bobby, in fairness, he's a Red Sox fan, and he is... Kind of hard on you as a Yankee fan. He won't let you put your Derek Jeter stuff up in the house. On a scale of 1 to 10, how devastated was Bobby last night seeing his team swept at home? You couldn't hear the the crying from the concert last night? <laughs> so he was an unhappy camper. It, it was a sad, sad day in Good, our Good, as it should be. I mean, and the thing is, we like Bobby. We side with him a lot of the time, but not on this one. Go Yanks. We'll see how these last few games go. Maybe the postseason's in the cards. Maybe not, but what a series in Beantown. Back here tomorrow, we will talk about the Five for Fighting concert and much more on special reports panel coming up on the news channel. Please tune in for that, and then we'll be back here on the radio. Same time, same place for the Guy Benson Show. Here on the Guy Benson Show, bumping in on the live broadcast with another Five for Fighting song as we did yesterday. And as we mentioned in the tease, we didn't quite have the real estate on the show yesterday to get into our Sunday night concert experience. But I know Christine had burning questions about what we did. So I wanted to tell the story, especially because we've got some exciting news related to this. So the background is, I would say mid last week, I got a DM a direct message on Twitter from John Andrasik, who is the Five for Fighting singer. He said, hey, I'm doing a tour right now, and we're going to be in the D.C. area, and would love for you and Adam to come if you have any availability. So I went to his website and looked at the dates, 
And in Alexandria, Virginia, which is just across the Potomac River from D.C., there was a concert on Sunday night, and I checked the schedule, and I said, yeah, I think that would be great. He said, yeah, feel free to bring a couple friends if you want to. And so they had four tickets ready or just, you know, the the list at the gate, and they had all these things that you had to do and show your vaccine card and everything. But when I walked in, immediately I saw, because we were a little bit late, there was an opening act. We got there in plenty of time for Five for Fighting at a cool venue. I mean, it had clearly been around for quite some time. And I did not even know that it existed. I think it was called the Birchmere Theater, something like that. And it was intimate, four, five, six hundred people maybe. And most folks were already seated inside listening to the opening act. But hanging around at the bar were the people that I invited in addition to Adam. We invited Mark and Molly Hemingway. Mark, who is a writer, a conservative writer and His work is pretty well known. Of course, Molly Hemingway, our colleague here at Fox News, we see her all the time on TV. She comes on this show regularly. She and I actually were on special report together on the panel last night. So I'd reached out to Molly and they were going to meet us there. So they beat us to the concert. So they were having a few cocktails waiting for us. And then with them hanging out were Peter Ducey and his wife, who are both on air at Fox News. So they got some beers. We got some beers. Mark and Molly had their cocktails. And then they came and they seated us in these amazing seats. And it's sort of tables with actual service at the tables where you can order drinks or food during the concert itself. And they sat us like front and center just behind kind of like the front row of tables, if you will. And the young woman who was opening for Five for Fighting, she was good. She kind of had a Sarah Bareilles vibe. And I like that. And then out came John, and he was performing, Five for Fighting, with a string quartet. So I believe it was three violins and a cello. And they had various arrangements to accompany him on a number of his songs, including the most famous ones. And then a few that I hadn't heard before. In fact, he told a really interesting story about a song That was, in fact, extremely sad. It was about divorce through the eyes of a child. And he set that up so when you listen to the lyrics, it was like a gut punch. And I'm sure it was especially affecting for children of divorce. But he told the story about how that was the song that he played for this woman who kind of discovered him at a piano bar where he was playing when he was much younger in his 20s. And she was a talent scout and she had helped sign record deals for major bands. And she had approached him and she said, you're talented. I'd like to get you a record deal. But you need that song, any, you know, that song that's your breakthrough song. So he would write songs and he would play them for her. And he said that she would sometimes even stop him a quarter or a third of the way through the song being like, that's not the song. And then this is the song that he wrote. It ended up not being a huge hit for him. But in her mind, she sat through the whole thing in silence and she She sat through the whole thing in silence, and then she said, that's it. There's your song, and she was able to get him a record deal. And it's funny because it, again, did not become one of his most famous tunes. So he plays it. It was actually a beautiful song. Hadn't heard it before. And it ended, and he said, by the way, there is a somewhat happier ending to such a sad song. 
which is that woman who came in and told me this was it and my path to a record deal, and then I got the record deal, I ended up marrying her, and we've been happily together ever since. So that was his wife. So that was, that was cool. Of course, he played the song that we bumped in with during the segment, Riddle, which might be my favorite of his songs. I know that Superman is more popular. A Hundred Years might be his biggest hit that he's ever had. But the riddle was definitely on the charts. I remember hearing it. It got radio play. That might be my favorite song of his. He played all three. He had this string quartet as well. And there was one point where he sort of took a break, almost his own personal intermission, and went backstage to you know, have a drink of water or use the bathroom or whatever. And just the four musicians with their string instruments played a montage, sort of a medley of a whole array of music. And it was pretty cool. Like they played the Game of Thrones theme song at one point. They played the Mario Nintendo theme song. They played some classic rock hits and you didn't really know what was going to come next. So that was one of the highlights as well. He played a song later called Tuesday, which was inspired by 9-11. He closed with Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney, the Bond film theme song that's quite popular. He was on piano, and then he had the strings with him. That was awesome. And then he dismissed this was after the encore he dismissed the string quartet from the stage and he stayed out for one more song on guitar just a acoustic guitar and him john andresic who's the singer five for fighting and this was a song that he wrote in anger and frustration because he is very tied into the military community he's performed for the troops in the uso he's got lots of friends and contacts in the military and what's happened in afghanistan angered him profoundly and he feels like it's a betrayal not only of the people that were lied to and stranded, but also a stain on the nation. So he wrote effectively a protest song. And he said this is not a political song necessarily, although it does unsparingly go after Joe Biden. Secretary Blinken is named. Secretary Austin is named. General Milley is named. Of course, a few of those guys were testifying today. He said, I didn't want my other musicians up on stage because if there's video of this, I don't want them getting canceled if someone decides to make this all political. He said, to me, it's not political. To me, this is a moral song. And he performed it. And he performed it with a visceral anger. And I am excited to announce that Five for Fighting will be appearing on this show on Friday. We will talk to John. We will play this protest song. We'll ask him about it. We'll ask him about some other stuff as well. But Five for Fighting in the house on the Guy Benson Show on Friday. So circle your calendar. I am looking forward to that conversation. Back here for the Wednesday edition of the Guy Benson Show. Same time, same place tomorrow. Have a great night. today with the firing of our new technical producer. As we are bumping into this segment, if you're listening on the podcast, to an instrumental version of Rocking Around the Christmas Tree.
I will remind everyone that we are still a month plus away from Halloween. It is September here in the year of our Lord, 2021. And yet, our cookie, producer Christine, who I know is responsible for this, so I I rescind the firing of Dan, who's new and he's still slightly in fear of producer Christine, so he'll learn to push back as things progress. But I know that she must have pushed for this because she, as you know, if you're a regular listener, is constantly insisting that the next holiday or the next season start far too early, which is why she curls up by the fire with some pumpkin spice hot cuckoo in like early July. And she gets all of her autumn decorations ready to go. She is trying to make a case to the team that it's already time for Christmas, sort of. And she is taking Christmas-related action already in September. She knows that we do not do Christmas music on this show or in my life until December 1st. So by trolling me and taking advantage of Dan, our new addition to the team, With Christmas music in September, there will be consequences and real consequences. Like I'm not going to drone some minivan, some other family. We're going to find the person responsible for this. We will hunt her down and we will deliver justice in the form of French onion soup. All right, Cookie, what is your scheme today? Why are we even doing this? So I, I, I do have to say, because poor Dan, I did tell him to do that. And he did actually just question it and said, uh, are we sure we should do this? And I said, yeah. And he's not going to be happy about it. And don't tell him. Just do it. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Dan, for listening to me. Uh, that probably be the first and last time mm-hmm. I will yeah, get Christmas this music this early. But listen, there are multiple stories out there that there is major shipping issues around the world that is going to cause problems in getting your gift, your I say Christmas, your holiday gifts on time. Amazon is even saying mm, after Black Friday, you know, it, it's not going to be a two day and you get your gift like it normally is. There's major issues out there. And that is why, Guy Benson, I've already started my Christmas shopping. I've already received a few gifts uh, in the mail. uh, Wait, wait. So so hold up. I'm just going to throw your own words back in your face here. You said that the concern might be that shipping after Black Friday – in time for Christmas could be potentially a challenge in some cases. Can I remind you that Black Friday is November 26th and today is September 29th? Yeah, so you should be even prouder of me that I'm thinking even more ahead. So yay me. So you have Christmas gifts, what, for your daughter that are already ordered and delivered in September. Where do you hide these things? Because... I think the longer you have Christmas gifts sitting around your house, the higher the chances that the recipient of the gift will accidentally discover it, ruining the magic uh, of Christmas. No, no, no. Uh, these gifts are, are like, oh, uh, yes, Santa right. worked very hard on these gifts for you. It's like, Mom, I saw them before Halloween. 
in the shed next to your giant vat of booze? I don't keep my booze. It has to be temper con- temperature controlled. It's not That's true. You would never shed. keep it in the shed. Okay, my mistake. My mistake. Uh, I already have a plan for that if that day ever comes where she unexpectedly finds them. So I'm I'm okay with that because um, What's the plan? Santa is so Santa is so so busy that sometimes he writes letters to the parents and says, "I'm going to drop these off. I'm still coming. I'm still going to be there on Christmas Eve, but." Can I drop yeah. these gifts off now and you wrap Christine, them for me? I just have to tell you something. Megan is yes. eight, so I feel like yes, you're kind is. of hitting up against the wall here on certain revelations. I don't want to say anything more. This is a family okay. audience, and there there's little kitty poos yeah. perhaps running around and listening, but I think you know what I'm talking about. So I would be extra careful yes. this year because it could be a special final one, potentially, potentially. Oh, no, I think we have some time. But anyway... All I'm saying to you and to the audience out there, and you are going to thank me, is start the shopping now. Talk to your family. And you know what? If your family is judgmental like my family is, ignore it. They're going to be happy when they actually have gifts on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate on that holiday that they actually have something to open and that you thought ahead because of me. Duh. Christine, what did your mother, Judgy Joyce, tell you about this? So it's funny. I, I thought she had said I was one sick kid when I asked her for my list, but Bobby reminded me when I called him earlier that she actually called me one sick pup. Because I called Oh, she her called you said, like um, a sick puppy. Yeah, you're one sick pup, Chris. Because I said, I need uh, your, uh, your, you know, we always... My mom, like, we get her a lot of presents. So I said, I need the Christmas list to buy this weekend. And she said, excuse me? And I, I explained the shortage. Apparently, she does, she's not reading the news and didn't see this. And uh, she said, <laughs> she I'm you not. <laughs> one sick you pup. You know what, Good Chris? for her. You're one sick pup. Yeah, good for her. I like that. It's tough love. And frankly, in your world, it's better to be one sick puppy than one trick pony because we know what would happen to that pony now christine i do have to confess something to you You and it is somewhat no 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 but every year with the exception of last year where we had to like radically change the plan because of covid but every year since i moved to dc so it's been 11 years now i have hosted a christmas party at my place in my little sort of a studio condo and then my two-bedroom condo and then we've expanded at the house and it's gotten kind of extravagant where we had a tent and we had catering and a bartender and all this stuff and we are hoping to bring that tradition back this coming Christmas season and I have to say because there's planning involved and saving money and trying to get people lined up for desirable dates, if it's a caterer, and trying to get your invitations out before everyone else gets booked up, we may or may not have settled on a Christmas party date already, yes, in September, because of the advanced planning. I think it's different than the gift-buying nonsense that you're talking no, about, it's but not. it is no. a little bit of planning that has taken place in our household. I I couldn't be prouder of you. Uh, I I no. am going to assume I'm 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 on the list for the party. Yes. Um, you know, that's still it's like the Democrats on Capitol Hill, it's still very fluid. We're not really sure uh, what's gonna happen there. And 
we'll uh, we'll keep you abreast of that. Perhaps you just don't call the, me. We'll call you. I'll get the date out of Wyatt. You will not. He is very quiet. Yeah, he doesn't want to lose his privileges. He doesn't want to lose his invite <laughs> by going rogue. Oh, poor Dan. And also, I, I will just already. point out the last time that you were invited to a party hosted at our house that you said you wanted to be invited to, you didn't show up, even though you were committed to bringing stuff, and you said so on the air. So even if I wanted to invite you to the Christmas party, I feel like you've made clear that, I mean, you're basically Joe Biden over here with your promises and your word. You know, you're, take my word as a cookie. I will be at this party. Uh, we've been there, done that, and it was a giant swing and a miss, and everyone was devastated. And by everyone, I mean potentially someone may have been devastated at some point, but you didn't show up. That's the lesson here. I'm coming. I, I, I'm putting this, mark this right down, right now. I will be, if I'm invited, I will be at that Christmas party. And I already, actually, I'm going to order it today. I already know what I'm getting you for a gift. And all I'm going to say is your front yard is going to thank me. I swear if you get a giant blow-up Christmas thing to put in our front yard, I will put it out. I will inflate it. I will borrow a friend's firearm, and I will shoot it so that it explodes. Not only will you not do that, it will be set up for the big party. So when everybody – and I – there might be no. some music on the outside. Yeah, don't worry. I got no, this. No, I that's got this. the thing. It's it's Very we do Very a, we do a classy event. This yes. is not an yes. eyesore lane extravaganza. This is something different. Okay, we can we can talk about this offline, but uh, well, it'll I'll tell you this. It is a Friday or a Saturday night between now and early January. Back here tomorrow on the Guy Benson Show Thursday edition. It could be a very busy day on Capitol Hill. High drama, high wire act for the Democrats. What's going to happen? We will have you fully covered right here. Same time, same place. Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. From our gleaming new Washington, D.C. Fox News Bureau, which was officially opened and christened today. Ribbon-cutting ceremony, a little walk around, a few dedications. So the green room down the hall from us is named after Charles Krauthammer, who held forth in the old green room many, many days and was so generous with his time and was a staple on the panel on Special Report. And we lost him a few years ago And I cannot think of someone more fitting to honor in this way than Charles Krauthammer. So it's the Charles Krauthammer Green Room. And then you come literally, what, 30 feet down the hallway. And and here we are in the Tony Snow radio studio. Tony Snow was a colleague here at Fox News. I actually worked as a White House intern when he was at the White House as press secretary. Just as he was on his way out, he was stricken with cancer, and he was beloved by the staff. I remember his farewell. Very emotional day on the steps of the Eisenhower Executive Office Building on West Exec. There were not many dry eyes 
Tony was the anchor of Fox News Sunday for years and was just beloved here as well at Fox News. And he had a radio studio, our old radio studio here in the building. It was initially built for him and his show. And so when we launched Benson and Harf, Marie Harf and I had the idea to colloquially name the studio after him. And we asked Fox about it. They said, let's actually make it official because Tony and I had worked. Of course, I was an intern, but we had been in the Bush administration. We were fellow conservatives, but he was also a spokesperson at the White House. Marie has a background in being a spokesperson in the executive branch. So it just kind of felt fitting. And this brand new studio that we're operating in is now officially named after him. There's a beautiful plaque just outside the door. We're going to post photos and videos of all of this at Guy P. Benson on Twitter and Instagram. If you're curious, there's a really lovely, big, beautiful, bold painting of Tony Snow right across the glass. I'm looking at it right now in the portion of our studio where Wyatt is sitting, where the producers are. It's a Penley painting. You might be familiar with him. He does a lot of work with Fox, actually, and they have captured the likeness perfectly. The colors really pop under the lights. Check it out, at Guy P. Benson. On Twitter and Instagram, we'll also share it from our official account, at Guy Benson Show, on both platforms, Twitter and Instagram, if you're curious. And we'll give you a little tour of our digs. We did kind of a little bit of that a few weeks ago, but now it's all officially official as of today. And I can hardly believe that this space, this entire workspace, is the same physical location as the old bureau because almost every single square inch is totally different. The word I keep using because it applies is unrecognizable in the best way. It's just modern and clean And the way it's laid out makes so much sense. And we are just blessed to be right in the middle of it. We are right in between the hair and makeup room and the green room. And then the main studio where Brett Bayer and Chris Wallace and company do their shows. And then down the other hallway is where Tucker and Laura and Howie Kurtz and others host their shows. It's really cool. And uh, we're blessed to have this studio named after Tony Snow. And just to be a part of the operation here... I will say that because everything is so new, you know, you have to work out a few kinks from time to time. And yesterday was one of those days. It was during our first hour, our third segment, so right around 3.50-ish p.m. Eastern time. And I was just wrapping up a monologue about Nancy Pelosi and the struggle she had on her hands in terms of uh, wrangling all the votes for reconciliation, sort of previewing that. And I was very close to setting it to break. And all of a sudden, I could no longer hear myself in my headphones here. And I wondered, had my headphone jack come unplugged? What had happened? I looked up. Wyatt was looking at me through the glass. What's happening? He couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear any response from New York. So I tried to just send it to commercial break. They couldn't hear me, but luckily they were on the same wavelength. They sent it to commercial break. And we could not figure out what was going on. My microphone just wasn't working. There was an issue it looked like with the board here in D.C., the audio board. Not to get too technical, but the microphones in this part of the studio couldn't stay in programming. It was, it was really weird. So Wyatt and I were like, what do we do? 
We have to come back from a commercial break in three minutes or something. What do we do? And then we've got the rest of the show. We've got Senator Ernst coming up live in minutes. Now, the good news is, as a parenthetical, producer Christine was out yesterday. She was working from home because her daughter needed child care. Their babysitter had to call out at the very last minute. So she was working from home. Producer Christine, whom we love very much, under pressure is, how can I say this? Not level-headed, right? A little something would go wrong or a big something in this case could go wrong. And producer Christine would be screaming at the top of her lungs, panicking, dousing herself in gasoline, and looking for a match. Like, this is sort of how she would react to even a minor setback. So the fact that she was not a part of this, in fact, she was blissfully unaware, listening to the show, if you did not know what was happening behind the scenes, we had maybe four seconds of dead air on the entire show yesterday. You would have no idea, because of the calm, collected professionalism of this team, with Dan and Justin back in New York, Wyatt here in D.C. So Wyatt and I, there's on the exact opposite end of this building, on our floor, about as far away as you can possibly get from where I sit and still remain in the bureau, there is a voiceover studio, like a little cubby hole, almost like a closet, where you can go in and do voiceovers. Luckily, it is connected into the radio system and up to New York, so that was the backup plan. We gathered a few things and basically ran because we didn't make this decision instantly. We were still trying to see, can we make the microphone work? Is there something obvious that we're not seeing? And we said, nope, we're out of time. So we were doing sort of the very urgent fast walking. It was like a power walk slash jog without trying to freak anyone out with like equipment and headphones and a laptop and all this stuff. We get into this little room. And Wyatt pulls up the thing, and there's headphones, and they're sort of crackling, and these are old-school headphones. I can barely hear New York, and then we pull up the levels just a little bit, and it is bumper music. So we are back. The segment is back. I am live on radio from this closet, basically, on the other side of the building, and I just launched into the segment. We played a clip, I believe, a soundbite of Cocaine Mitch McConnell. You can go back and hear this on the podcast if you want to at GuyBensonShow.com. Now you know the chaos that had ensued here on our end, but we tried to keep it pretty chill. So we did the segment. We were able to get Senator Ernst on the air, no problem. And just the rest of the show, our segments were done with me sitting in this little room. The only distraction at that point was, again, everything is so new here. Someone had set up the lighting, like the overhead lighting in this voiceover room to be on a timer. Right, and it and it will click off if they don't detect or the little machine, the sensor doesn't detect movement, the lights will click off. And I don't know why this happened, but it was a thirty second timer. So every thirty seconds the lights would turn off where I was sitting. <laughs> and it would make this clicking sound, which I could hear, which was driving me crazy. And in order to turn the lights back on, because it was not total darkness, but close. I would have to wave my arms around like a crazy person to get the sensor to recognize there's someone in this little booth and then the lights would click back on. So if you want to go back and listen to that interview with Senator Ernst, right, we're talking about Afghanistan and the hearing yesterday and all this stuff. 
just imagine every few seconds, right? Every minute or so, I am wildly waving my arms around to get the lights to turn back on. (laughs) So it was a whole thing. And it ended up working out great in the end. And we sort of made it work on the fly with some ingenuity, no panic, got it done, figured out and resolved the issue. And then the place got dedicated today. And it looks absolutely fantastic. And again, if you want to see photos or videos at Guy Benson Show on Twitter and Instagram, at Guy P. Benson, my personal accounts, I'll post it there as well, including this really gorgeous striking Penley oil painting of Tony Snow after whom this studio is named. And it is truly an honor and a privilege to broadcast in a place this beautiful named after someone that I admired. Tomorrow, I'll be doing the broadcast from Omaha, Nebraska, from our great affiliate out there. I cannot wait. We'll explain why I'm there on tomorrow's show. We've got a great lineup, including Five for Fighting. They will be here. John Andrasik, the lead singer on The Guy Benson Show, cannot wait for that conversation. You do not want to miss it. That's the Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show. In the meantime, have a great evening. Thank you for listening. From Nebraska today, KOIL, our affiliate out here. Thank you very much to all the folks. In particular, Neil, who's been incredibly gracious and helpful today, getting me all set up here in the studio in Omaha. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. I should mention the podcast is free. Bonus Benson coming up on the weekends. The reason, or at least part of the reason, that I'm in Nebraska is to watch some college football. It'll be the first time I will see my Northwestern Wildcats in person in a couple of years, since 2019, which was a season to forget. We'll see how things go. The Cats are big underdogs in Lincoln tomorrow night. Before we get to our final guest and talk a little bit about sports, I just want to recount a story that I had forgotten completely until my flight today to get to Nebraska. I got up before dawn to catch the first flight out of D.C. to Chicago and then the connection from Chicago to Omaha. And it was a relatively tight turnaround at O'Hare. It was fine. I was reminded of the last time I did almost the exact same itinerary. Early morning flight, connecting through Chicago, coming to Omaha, I want to say like 2013, 2014. It's been a while. But I was coming here for a speaking engagement. And I was exhausted. Because I had to get up early. I'm not a morning person. I got on the connecting flight, a smaller plane, to fly from Chicago to Omaha, and I fell asleep. And I can really sleep on planes. It is a skill that I have for which I am grateful. I sleep on planes like it's my job. And sometimes I sleep heavily on planes. Like, not to get too gross, but it has happened where I am woken up by the impact of landing and I have drooled on myself. I am, like, that far gone asleep on these planes. So on that particular flight that day... I did not wake up upon landing, but I woke up just as we were approaching. So you could see, you know, the ground. We were pretty close to landing. I looked out the window and I'd been fast asleep. And I said, wow, 
Omaha is a lot more built up than I thought it would be. I had not been to Omaha, Nebraska. I said, you know, this is this is a pretty big city here. It's a more density than I was expecting. I guess the cornfields must be maybe a few miles out because there's a lot of residential neighborhoods. And then big highways and tons of cars. I'm like, okay. I mean, this is a fairly major city. It's just bigger than I was expecting. And we land and we're taxiing. And I felt like I was in the twilight zone because I'm staring at the terminal and I'm thinking, I swear to God, that's O'Hare. But but that's where I just came from. Like, am I half asleep here? What's going on? As it turned out, midway through the flight, there was some sort of minor mechanical issue. And they realized that they wouldn't have the parts to fix it in Omaha so the decision was made to turn the plane back around and land again at O'Hare and put us on a different plane and fly back to Omaha. I slept through all of this. The announcements, people being mad about it, all of it. I had no idea. So imagine just the weirdness of having taken off, fallen asleep, and then you feel like your brain is tricking you when you're landing in a place that, in your mind, has to be your destination, but in fact... It's the origin city of the flight. It was a very surreal moment because it did take me a solid maybe 30 seconds of absolute confusion and bafflement to figure out what happened. In fact, what I did was I sort of flagged over a flight attendant. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're in Chicago. He's like, oh, yeah, you slept through it. Here's the deal. (laughs) That did not happen today. I did sleep on the flight, but we made it. In one fell swoop, easy. Point A to point B to point C, no drama. And hopefully there will be some drama up in Lincoln tomorrow night for my Northwestern Wildcats. And the, it would seem improved, Nebraska Cornhuskers, even though their record doesn't reflect it, I think their body of work so far is actually pretty impressive. But we'll see. It would be an upset for Northwestern, almost two touchdown underdogs. Let's bring in Matt Napolitano, sports reporter, Fox News Headlines 24-7. You can hear him on Sirius XM Channel 115, at Matt Napolitano on Twitter. Matt, good to have you back. Yeah, good to be back. I had no idea you were like that heavy of a sleeper on the flights. I mean, I thought I was bad. That's how. <laughs> well, I mean, in in my defense, I was up very early. And why on earth would you ever assume that you're coming in for a perfectly leisurely, normal-seeming landing after you've been asleep for quite some time at the exact same airport where you took off, you know, an hour and a half ago, it it was an understandable, I think, confusing situation for me to be in. But it was because I guess even with all of the goings on, I was just blissfully unaware because I was deeply slumbering on the plane, always in my window seat, leaning up against the wall. All right. Enough about that, Matt. Let's get to brass tacks and sports. A couple interesting matchups in college football this weekend, number two, Georgia, with the Bulldogs looking dominant so far this year. They are playing number eight, Arkansas. The Razorbacks kind of for real, or at least appearing to be for real thus far. Do the Arkansas Razorbacks have a chance at beating the Bulldogs? I'd say they absolutely do have a chance, and the main reason why is because Georgia hasn't really been all that tested. Yeah, you can argue they went up against Clemson, 
10-3 game. Defense has been incredible all year long. But other than that first game against the Tigers, that hasn't really been much for UGA, whereas Arkansas has had to take down two top 25 opponents, Texas and Texas A&M, made the Aggies look foolish last week. Uh, Georgia's defense, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be going down to the wire. The one thing I think will have an impact that we'll see is on the Bulldogs for the offensive side of the ball. JT Daniels dealing with a minor lat issue. So they may have to rely on the running game a little bit more. It's going to go down to the wire. I'm going to give it to Georgia, but this is going to be a fun one to watch. And you know what? Kudos to Sam Pittman. Arkansas is now a fun team to watch for the first time in some time. Yeah, they're relevant, which is not always the case down in Fayetteville. Meanwhile, number 9 Notre Dame, they're now in the top 10, having dismantled Wisconsin at Soldier Field in Chicago last weekend. They're facing number 7 Cincinnati, so the Bearcats ranked higher than the Fighting Irish coming into this one. What's your prediction there? You know, we got four matchups this week within the top 25, and to me, this is going to be the most decisive one. I think Cincinnati gets a statement win on the road against Notre Dame. Jack Cohn's not coming in at 100%. Notre Dame's offensive line hasn't looked the best. I think this is a huge opportunity for that Cincinnati defense to kick in and really show that they're a force to be reckoned with. This could be the year that we may, just may, see a group of five team crack through to that college football playoff four that we've been waiting for for some time. I think this is the year. And since he, obviously, Luke Fickle getting a lot of buzz for that uh, USC job, we'll see what happens there. But I think that Cincinnati pulls this off. We've already discussed Georgia and Arkansas. Elsewhere in the SEC, you've got number 12, Ole Miss. At number one, Alabama. I mean, Bama's just sort of this machine. Ole Miss has given them a scare once or twice recently, if memory serves. They're ranked 12th. It's tough to go into Tuscaloosa and win no matter who you are. Are the Crimson Tide safe in this one, or could Ole Miss sneak up on them? I think they're safe. I think this is going to be an offensive showdown, to say the least. you got two Heisman-leading quarterbacks right now in Bryce Young and Matt Corral. So it's going to be really fun to watch these two dangerous playmakers in that one. As much as I would love to see Lane Kiffin get some revenge, you know, he used to be uh, the O coordinator and QB coach under Saban a few years back. As much as I'd love to see him come in and somehow come away with a victory for Ole Miss, I think the tie take this one, but this is going to be a high-scoring affair, let me tell you. Big 12 Conference, Baylor at Oklahoma State, number 21 and 19, respectively. Your thoughts there? I think Oklahoma State comes away with that one. That rushing defense is definitely going to hold down Baylor on that side of the ball. And I really think home field advantage is going to come to, well, their advantage this week. Being in Stillwater, the Cowboys come away with a victory. I think you get yourself a two-possession game there because I think if that rushing D, that front seven holds up, it's going to be a good day for OSU. And because we are broadcasting from KOIL News Talk 1290 in Omaha, just down the road from Lincoln, which is where I'm heading tomorrow evening, for my cats against the Huskers. Northwestern is clearly the underdog. Nebraska favored by 12 points, according to Vegas. Here's the thing. Cats are 2-2, two and two, but have not looked impressive. Nebraska 2-3, and three, but they have looked more impressive. And two of their losses, one of them was to a, a very good Michigan State team, and that was a tight one in overtime. And then they really, I think, performed admirably on the road in Norman against OU, I think that Nebraska, despite that early stumble against Illinois, Nebraska is on the upswing, and I'm expecting to be part of a little sort of splash of purple in a sea of red. I got a go-catch from some Northwestern fans at the airport this morning, but we'll be few and far between at Memorial Stadium. Are we going to walk away 
disappointed tomorrow night, Matt. Yeah, I'm going to have some good news for everybody <laughs> in the listening range out there in Omaha right now. It's going to be a good day for the Huskers, and I think it's a good uh, little warm-up before they have to take on uh, number 14 Michigan next week. Sorry, guy, it's not looking good for your boys in purple. Yeah, well, I mean, the defense has been a little bit suspect, the offense in particular. you got the third-string quarterback in because of uh, an injury suffered in the Duke game. So a lot to overcome, but in this rivalry, since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, these games are almost always close. Eight of the ten matchups have been one-score games, and if that's the case, I'll be thrilled. I just hope that Northwestern comes out on top. I'll be cheering with all my heart for the purple, but I think that your pick, intellectually, just objectively, is probably the smart one. But we'll see. Matt Napolitano, sports reporter, Fox News Headlines 24-7, Sirius XM Channel 115. Matt, have a great week and enjoy the games. And you enjoy it out in Lincoln. I will also be keeping an eye on my phone, score updates, Yankees, pennant races, Pretty exciting, especially over in the American League. So could be a fun sports weekend. It'll be extra fun if somehow we can pull off this upset. Again, not not holding my breath. But hope springs eternal. Hey, that's sports. That's the whole point. You hope, you root. We will be back here on Monday for a brand new edition and a new week of the Guy Benson Show. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Good night from Omaha, Nebraska. It's the Guy Benson Show. was this week's edition of Bonus Benson. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Starting June 10th, the Fox True Crime Podcast presents The Crimes of O.J. Simpson, 30 Years Later. There are so many tentacles to this story. It's truly hard to put it all into a nutshell. Emily Campagno takes you inside the crime scene and inside the courtroom, bringing you an inside look into the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. If this trial occurred today, there would not be an acquittal. Available on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.